1: you're listening to a share radio podcast
2: since the automobile industry first took off fossil fuels petrol and diesel have long been synonymous with motoring but how long can our dependence on these fuels really last Environmental concerns and the finite nature of these resources are increasingly pushing manufacturers and consumers to find more eco-friendly and sustainable alternatives. The question over zero-emissions cars has come more into focus recently with proposed changes to road tax set to come into force this April. Currently, the system is graded based on emissions, however that's now being scrapped The new system will see a flat rate, with polluting cars paying a fixed rate, whilst only zero-emission cars will be free. So what exactly are zero-emission cars? Well, zero-emission means they won't emit any greenhouse gases or other harmful pollutants, and won't directly rely on fossil fuels. So this largely refers to electric vehicles – there's already quite a range of electric cars on the market, as Chris Lilly from Buyer's Guide Next Green Car explained to me.
1: There are a few options, but it's obviously not as, as widespread as the rest of the industry. If you're looking for a Super Mini or a small family car, something like a, a VW golf size, Ford focus size car, there no, are actually quite a lot of options. So you've got things like the Hyundai, uh, Nissan Leaf, VW e-Golf, there is actually a full focus electric available on the used market. You've got the Renault Zoe, which is um super mini size that sort of rivals uh, a Ford Fiesta. But when you go slightly higher than that, there isn't quite as much option until you go higher still. And you've got the likes of Tesla Model S, which rival a high end BMW 5 Series or 7 Series, that sort of size car.
2: Often the the headline hitting ones are models like Tesla and people. Often, sort of, yeah. associate that price tag with zero emissions cars, but from what you're saying, it does sound like the familiar sort of family hatchback type models are, are still available at an affordable
1: Yes, yeah, very definitely. It's a market which has a, an interesting spread currently because it's very much in transition. So, if you look at a, a smaller family size car, you know, like a Super Mini or, or a small family car, then there, as I say, there are lots of options there.
2: So, what exactly would owning and driving an electric car be like? Well, the general principles are fairly similar, and as Chris said, electric cars are usually modelled on existing petrol designs. The only real difference to the driving experience is the lack of gear changes, somewhat similar to driving an automatic. The main differences are more in the running, as Chris explained.
1: With an electric car, you need to charge it far more regularly than you would need to to put petrol into a petrol car. But most people effectively change their way of ownership to accommodate that. So when they get home of an evening or when they get to work, for example, they put the car on charge and then you forget about it. And it becomes almost like a mobile phone or whatever. You know, you, most people put their phone on charge at, at night, wake up in the morning and it's on 100%. And the car tends to do exactly the same thing with that.
2: When you say they charge them, and then they have these charging stations, is, yeah. is that, are you solely reliant on those then or...?
1: No, uh, the majority of people charge at home more, or the workplace. So, um, the home is the, the, the largest proportion of where we are charged. Workplace is increasing, is increasing in importance as more employers sort of get on board as well. But then there are quite a lot of charge points around. I think about 6,500, but under 6,500 charge points. Um, and that's in, but over 4,000 different locations across the UK.
2: Whilst Chris compares it to charging a phone, that did ring some alarm bells. How many times have you ended up forgetting to charge your phone? Keeping your car topped up could be one of the major sticking points to successfully implementing electric cars. Although we're seeing them more and more, charging points are not universally accessible. Even in large cities such as London, it's often difficult to find a charging point near your home. As well as access to charging points, there's also issues around the charging time, as former racing driver and motoring editor at Confuse.com, Amanda Stretton, explained.
3: are buying EVs are people who have got their own drive and therefore their own charging point or a designated parking space and charging point outside their house. Most people who live in the city, these are the people who need EVs, have got no designated parking space and so therefore can't reliably charge their car, therefore can't can't buy an EV or rely on having an EV because there's every chance that they're going to come home at night you try and use the one or two charging points maybe that are in their area, not even on their road, to find their fault. And that's the end of it. <laughs> you don't have a choice. So it's a problem, as you say, with pickup and supply and the, the infrastructure that's in place to actually support all of these. The answer is it, it's going to be a very middle class switch uh, to begin with because it's going to be all those people who you know, have their own parking and or drives.
2: Yeah, it's interesting actually picturing the whole situation with the charging because obviously most of us got their used to just the routine. You drive into a petrol station, fill up, it's done in a few minutes. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about the practicalities with an electric car and how, how it all works with having well, to... Well, I,
3: I was talking to somebody who actually manufactures a hydrogen car um, last week who said that if you were to swap a... Traditional motorway service station with 20 refueling pumps into an EV service station, you would need a 14.4 megawatt substation to support it, which is the equivalent of supporting 27,000
2: homes. Wow. <laughs> so there's a <laughs> few the challenges
3: that is the problem, and how are you supposed to put that all the way up and down the motorway when you have got I don't know how many cars passing through a regular petrol station an hour, hundreds. Um, when you're looking at EVs needing at least half an hour, forty-five minutes to get a decent charge.
2: Yes, it seems like the kind of potentially the public interest is there, but it's just the inf- the support infrastructure it's then,
3: absolutely the support infrastructure and the technology for rapid charge or wireless charging. I mean, it's possible, it just requires the infrastructure to actually lay cables in the motorway so cars actually charge as they are passing over. So it's a little bit like a, you know, like a train.
2: Yeah, it's like a giant scale electric.
3: Yeah, yeah, precisely, yeah. A scale electric, but without the little bit of metal underneath it. So that technology is in place. It's just, who pays for it? How Mm. How do we start? I mean, this is one of my, I've always said, you know, is it, is it legislatively-led, this change, or is it manufacturer-led? Well, essentially, the manufacturers are only ever going to supply what the demand is. And if the demand is to carry on as we are, then that's what they're going to supply. So why would the manufacturer, You know, the manufacturers can't lead the change, because if there's no infrastructure to support any of this...
2: Charging isn't the only problem, though. Because these cars have a smaller market share... There's currently far less mechanics trained to be able to deal with them, which in turn translates into higher premium costs. This particular problem was raised by the Institute of the Motor Industry
0: what people feel generally about the environment isn't necessarily uh, reflected in what they actually do and we've seen that with diesel cars you know i mean people do understand that there are some issues around diesel cars but they're still more economical than petrol cars so in the main people are still buying them and what we found from our research is that 70% of drivers would be reluctant to pay more for insurance to drive an electric car or a hybrid car rather than a petrol or diesel car and because the Research also showed that premiums for, for the electric or, or plug-in hybrid cars can be anything up to 50% higher than they are for their petrol or diesel stablemates. And that one of the key drivers of that is the lack of people out there qualified to work on them so from an insurance perspective you know particularly when you're expecting that a car's been in an accident that might require people to work on the high voltage electrics Uh, there's only about one percent of all the people out there working on cars are currently qualified to do that and the insurers just put you know simple economics you know that's that's going to lead to higher repair costs therefore we'll load the premiums and that's that's logical enough and we're saying to the government look you know you've put a very positive Positive argument here. You they the government have made it very clear they want the UK to be a leading light in, in the in the adoption of the new technologies, electric vehicles autonomous vehicles and so on. They've said that they believe that there's a premium of 51 billion available to the UK economy by 2030. And to help get there, they've put aside a fund of 600 million to help promote and get people to move towards using these ultra low emission vehicles. They're addressing the obvious things. I mean, only recently they've said 35 million of that fund will be put towards helping to get the charging networks in place. And that's an obvious locker. But this is too, you know, and it's based around... The skills base I mean in fairness to the, the manufacturers those that sell electric and, and plug-in hybrid cars they are training their own people but you know the the service and repair sector is much wider than that you know there's 40 odd thousand businesses out there practicing in the sort of service and repair industry and the majority of those are not currently trained and they won't take up the training until there's more cars and there won't be more cars until they're trained so we're saying, look, you know let's break that paradox, take a bit of that fund that you've put aside and help, you know, uh, perhaps subsidise or help get that training in place. We know what the training needs to look like, we're already seeing that through the manufacturers, we know what the standards need to be to make sure people can work safely on these high voltage systems and so on, so it's no pun intended to put a bit of oil on those wheels and make that make that happen and you'll take away one of the impediments to people moving in that direction steve nash there ceo of the
2: institute of the
0: motor industry basically it
2: seems it's a real chicken in the egg scenario where the market won't take off until the support infrastructure is there and that won't be developed until the demand's there unless there's some sort of intervention from government perhaps to kick it off as we heard steve mention there government funding is available there are grants of up to £4,500 off the price of a new electric car as well as grants to help with the installation of home charging points Really though, as Steve suggests there needs to be a wider approach at changing and improving our infrastructure Although even with a greater recharging network it will still be difficult to overcome some of the inbuilt issues electric cars have such as charging time Another day is here
4: and you're ready for it What to wear? Check Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centres or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: But could any other technology provide a solution to solving the conundrum of moving away from fossil fuels? So far, we focus mainly on electric vehicles. However, there is a pioneering new alternative that potentially promises to be the fuel of the future.
3: The hydrogen-fuelled Mirai. Its only emission is water.
2: Hydrogen fuel cells could be a perfect alternative to having to wait for an electric car to recharge. The technology will provide instant refuelling of cars being topped up with hydrogen fuel in more or less the same way as refilling a petrol model. However, unlike the greenhouse gases produced on petrol and diesel, the only by-product will be water. To find out more about how the technology works, I spoke to Amanda Lynn, Deputy Chair of the UK Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Association.
4: The core technology is different. Effectively, a hydrogen fuel cell car is an electric vehicle, But instead of you plugging into a charge point to charge batteries, you fill up with hydrogen in the way you would normally fill up with petrol or diesel. And inside the car, there's a fuel cell that converts that hydrogen to electricity. The driving experience for a consumer is very similar to driving an electric car. Uh, The benefit is that you don't actually have to wait for on a rapid charge, half an hour to charge the car. Basically, the refuelling event will take you, you know, less than five minutes to fill up.
2: So it sounds like there's quite a few advantages, potentially, to it then. There are still some things putting people off a bit. I mean, what one of these is the cost. Some of the models we see, like the Toyota Mirai, are quite higher end in terms of the price. Do you think in time that will come down
4: Oh, certainly. I mean at the moment the Toyota Mirai is designed to be competitive to things like the large Tesla or high end saloon cars. Obviously by the time hydrogen is ubiquitous and there's there's a wide availability and more car companies get involved, then one assumes that there will be lots more of the different types of cars available.
2: And you mentioned that about hydrogen becoming more ubiquitous. And that's interesting because one of the things I've come across repeatedly looking into zero emission cars is this sort of chicken-the-egg scenario that there's often a lack of qualified mechanics and a lack of refuelling points, which puts people off, but obviously without people buying the cars, you won't get that increased supply. What is the situation like for hydrogen at the moment? I understand there's fewer fuel points. Well,
4: I mean, you're exactly right. The challenge is the car companies can't sell the cars if you don't believe you can refuel it. And equally, the refueling facilities are not, Available until uh, there's sufficient cars on the road. So, definitely, you describe a chicken and egg scenario. What's happening is the car companies are working very closely with the companies that can provide refueling. At the moment, they're making a very targeted process to provide the availability of the vehicles. In terms of the mechanics and things, I mean, these are at the moment new cars, so the car companies are providing, you know, through their controlled dealerships and and that kind of stuff, sufficient technical expertise to be able to provide all the maintenance and everything else that you would expect to get from a car. I mean, obviously, in the long run, as with electric, there will be a second-hand market. There will be mechanics and dealers set up to be able to maintain them. But obviously, at the early stages, companies like Toyota and Honda are making sure that their customers get you know, what they need. In terms of actual refueling today in the UK, there are stations in London uh, on the M4, there is in, right up to Scotland. It is a process to develop a rollout of, of a national infrastructure and the industry and the car companies have got together and have uh, quite a good view of how you could create a network across the country, and and it's a case of balancing that with investment as demand will become available.
2: Hydrogen's chief advantage over electric is the instant refuelling, which many motorists used to the ease of petrol and diesel would certainly enjoy. However, it suffers even more from the problems of a lack of infrastructure. Both Amanda Lynn and motoring journalist Amanda Stratton are fairly optimistic about the future of hydrogen, though, provided it's supported.
3: The manufacturers are on it so although we've only got the Hyundai and there's the Toyota and I think there's a actually Honda GM have just combined their technical development team for hydrogen to try and develop just a more cost effective system
4: mm. in my experience anybody that ever drives a fuel cell electric vehicle they say, can I have it tomorrow? The cars are great to drive, people enjoy the driving experience. So the demand, the demand would be there. The challenge for the car companies is they can't invest in production decisions for making more of the vehicles available in, unless they know there's going to be an
2: infrastructure available for it. Both hydrogen and electric seem to suffer from similar issues then. However, there is some hope going forward. As we've heard, both technologies need a kickstarter to get round some of the Catch-22 problems about getting demand and greater infrastructure, in particular when addressing issues such as recharging and repairs. Some countries are successfully already leading the way on this, as the Institute of the Motor
0: Industry's Steve Nash explained. I think certainly, if you look at a country like Norway, on things like the charging network, for example, they're a long way ahead of us at the moment. But, I mean, in fairness, there is stuff happening now you know when boris johnson was london mayor he made the edict that london cabs would have to be electric by 2020 and we we saw it announced that the new electric london cab is there and developed and and will be available to allow that to happen so these are all positive things but it's about the sort of speed of uptake and i think with the environmental concerns that we have at the moment we need that to happen sooner rather than later Really, then, the future of zero-emissions cars could come down to
2: some sort of government action. Clearly, with fossil fuels as a finite resource and increasing taxes and need to cut greenhouse gas emissions, the pressure is only like to grow in the future. Interestingly, some, such as Amanda Stretton, have some quite radical predictions on how we might have to restructure our transportation.
3: In the future... And I don't know when this will be, but we will have mission-specific vehicles. What essentially we're looking at today is our car, our single car, fulfills a multitude of functions. Our car can drive us up a mountain, it can drive us across a desert, it can drive us into a city to go shopping, we can drive long distances. We have one car that solves all of our transportation requirements. And I believe in the future it will become mission-specific. So you will still have a car for those long-distance requirements if you need them. Many drivers don't. Conversely, you will have a different vehicle for short hops, city driving. I mean, essentially, you've got to just look at volume. Um, not, uh, let's not look at the emissions question at the moment. Let's simply look at volume that we're running out of space. There's nowhere to park them. The, the idea of having a car with a footprint, we are soon going to run out of space. Therefore, the only way to keep the cities moving are by, and I bang on about this, investing in public transport more and actually having a decent system, which people can properly use, particularly when they're not in the city, but also by looking at these, these mission-specific, these city vehicles, which I do think will be the only answer, because
2: it will just be gridlock otherwise. For now, though, it's largely a case of working out what works best for you. If recharging is easy and convenient, there are certainly a lot of economic advantages to switching to a zero-emissions car, not to mention the environmental benefits. However, it's not necessarily always going to be a cost-effective or practical option for everyone. The ease of owning a zero-emissions vehicle will only increase, though, as uptake of vehicles increases. With current data suggesting the market is growing, though, combined with the necessity of moving away from fossil fuels, zero emissions cars, in some form, do look set to be the vehicles of the future.